This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars, growing the game one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Know the Game podcast. I know it's been a little bit of a time off, but that's all right. We're back rolling again and got some more great interviews coming up. So, the way we're going to start things off now is, once again, we're going back to our LaxCon interviews. As you know from some of the previous episodes we did, that's a great time for me to catch up with a lot of people since I do like to do my interviews in person. It does make getting some of these scheduled, especially during lacrosse season, a little bit tougher. So, LaxCon winds up being a goldmine for getting in front of some people that I don't normally get to see. This week is my interview with Mitch Belial. So Mitch Belial, as many of you know, recently retired from the MLL with the Boston Cannons. Before that, he was in the NLL. Uh, he retired a year earlier from that with the Georgia Swarm. And he is a past member of Team USA, both indoor and outdoor. And before all of that, he was a graduate of Cornell. So he's a big red alum. So you could say that, uh, you know, Mr. Belial played a, a little bit of lacrosse here and there. Now he is with Trilogy, a company that he's with uh, Ryan Boyle, Bill McLone, as well as a few others. They do some excellent work. So he's still very active in the lacrosse world, as you are going to hear in our interview. I'm not going to bog down this pre-interview talk too much more. So let's get right into the interview with Mitch Belial. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, you caught me towards the tail end of a very busy and fun weekend. My vocal cords are warmed up, though, so it's, uh, it's, it works both ways. Sure. So I grew up as the son of a Coast Guard officer, so we bounced around quite a bit growing up, and we ended in or ended up in Maryland when I was in fourth grade. And so everyone I knew was, I was always an athlete playing all different sports growing up as a young kid. Um, and Serena Park was kind of like you played lacrosse. And so I jumped on board right away and played rec for a year, then played for the, the big dogs, uh, I think also a rec team, and then tried out for travel in seventh grade and got cut and made the B team. Yeah, you know what? I, I I did make the B team, so I got cut from the A team. Made the B team, which is the right spot for me. Um, I I ended up uh, I ended up actually moving to Massachusetts after eighth grade, and so lacrosse really fell off there. They had just started a youth program. My parents actually helped fundraise and start the high school program in Bourne High School, which is where I where I was exactly on the Cape, uh, and then and then between. 10th and 11th grade, I moved back to Serena Park, so hockey took a backseat, and lacrosse became at the forefront, so jumped right back in, and hadn't really had the, the polishing of the skills that all my Serena Park teammates had, but had, you know, had, had continued to develop as, a, as an athlete, and so was really lucky. I had an amazing coach, Mike Bellotti, who saw that in me and helped mold me and shape me. I played midfield at the time, by the way. I was a midfielder all through high school, 
and then switch to defense when I got to Cornell. Yeah, for me, the decision to go to Cornell was never about seeing myself as, you know, an All-American. It was, it was a great school, and it was a great program with an unbelievable history. And I, most of all, I just really loved, loved the people that were involved with it. When I had gone on my recruiting visit, I fell in love with the school, fell in love with the team. And it's like, this is the right place for me. So playing was going to be gravy on top, and I knew it wasn't going to be a, an easy road as a midfielder. So when they gave me the opportunity to play defense, I was like, great, this, this is, I'm here for the right reason. Um, if this means that I can potentially see some more time, then maybe it'll work out, and I'll try my best to be a defenseman. I also was a blank slate. I knew nothing about defense. So the potential was, uh, the, you know, really was only upside there. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of that Cornell culture and why I embraced it was it was all about the team. It was all about making the people around you better and, so that was something I was excited to do. Um, also was going to learn a new position from one of the best coaches in Ben DeLuca and some of the best mentors and my teammates. And so I was excited about that opportunity. I'm excited. You know, I think there was it's it's always tough when there's transition and, and Jeff Tambroni at Penn State now, who's my head coach and Ben DeLuca, too, I think of the best coaches in NCAA lacrosse and have so much respect for them. I think they're when they were together, it was like a perfect one two punch. Um, and then, you know, there was a little bit of transition at Cornell with different coaches over the, the next couple of years. But I think Coach Milliman has done a phenomenal job of not only reinstilling that culture that we had when I was there but but also of keeping the alumni looped in and 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 now he's got three alumni on staff or two alumni on staff they're young in in Connor Busick and Jordan Stevens but those guys are so passionate and and want to get better as coaches want to get better as an organization it's showing This May they will be they will be back to the Final Four. Uh, I'm pretty confident of that as long as they stay healthy and do the things they're supposed to do. I mean, Jeff Teed is a is a team changing player, and the nice part is they also have a complimentary cast around him that makes him even better. Yeah, and I think the thing about him is he's so unassuming in terms of his style of play. And uh, Ryan Boyle coached uh, one of the, I think, a U19 scrimmage when they played against Canada. And someone's like, that, 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 uh, Jeff Teeth, he's not that great. And someone else turned to him and was like, he has, he has eight goals. <laughs> not, not eight points, he has eight goals. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay, I guess he's really good. So it's one of those things where it's like he, he just racks up the points, and at no point early, you know, some are highlight reel-esque, but at no point are you like, oh, my God, he's, he's not physically dominating. He's just so cerebral and makes the right play every time and is deadly accurate finisher and knows how to feed. And um, so he's just a, an unbelievable player all around. 
thing with bands, I was a Syracuse fan, you know, just strictly there to be watching Syracuse and seeing like, oh, wow, this is good. And that's when they crushed them, and then they lost to Cuse in the final, right? Yeah. yeah. That was in Boston? Yep. Yeah, so that was, that was I, yeah, I remember watching that and be like, wow, Rob is, Rob is a real deal, and um, he's, he's good, but he's physically imposing, too. You know, he's, he's a physical player, physical dodger, and when he scores, you feel it as a defenseman, and so that's the difference with, with Teed. It's like, you're like, oh, what, did, what happened? He just scored four goals and got five assists, and I felt like I played pretty good defense on him. You know, our alumni game was like, how does this guy have eight points already? It's been a half. Ooh, that's um, now is definitely different. Now is definitely different from college because I've learned some things since living in New York City about eating eating better food. I would say Aladdin's uh, is one of my go tos, and and uh, Christian Schubach is a guy, an Ithaca guy who's who's a great guy. His dad owns it, and it's just you're always going to get great Mediterranean food at Aladdin's. But anything in the Commons is. I was going to say, down in the commons, Taste of Thai is amazing. My parents live in Ithaca now. They moved to Ithaca, bought a bed and breakfast, Thomas Farm, B&B. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, but, no, the Ithaca community is, is amazing, and the Moosewood is obviously famous. But there's there's a lot of good stuff going on down there. But it's also changed a lot since since I've been there. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I've learned I've learned I've learned about farmers markets probably in the last five or six years. So that's a place where you're there for food. You know, most farmers markets you're there to buy produce, all this stuff like that. Where in Philly, it's just it's really close. So line that up with an alumni visit sometime. We'll we'll do. I'll tell. I'll have my parents. You know, go there and peruse the peruse the booths. Twelve MLL, twelve MLL, and I believe nine NLL, maybe ten. Correct. So I was one year difference, and then I also didn't play NLL in twenty fourteen during the World Game when we had the World Games that year. So I, I believe it's twelve and ten or twelve and nine. Yeah, so I had never played. I had never played true box lacrosse. Um, as I started getting toward being a senior at Cornell, I realized there was an opportunity there and was definitely interested. In 2007, when I graduated, they had this combine where we. It was one of the most tiring days of my life. Or two days, I think we did like strength and agility testing, and then we did all this. We did a beep test. I remember that. And then, and then we did drills for like four hours, and then we did a full scrimmage. So that was my first taste of it. And, you know, there's a lot of Canadian guys out there that had played box their whole lives, and then there's a handful of American guys like myself that had never played. So it was a cool opportunity. My feet the next day were so blistered, and my legs were so sore. Um, but then the draft was like that night. So it was like all in one weekend. It was in Denver. It was a really cool experience. I, I wish they would bring that back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mile high. Exactly. So that was um, that was my first experience. And Adam Mueller, an American guy who's been instrumental in the box game, took a chance on me and taught me the game. And again, very lucky. We had kind of an American centric team on that New York Titans team. That's how I met Ryan Boyle, uh, who now is a business partner at Trilogy and, you know, learned learned about the game. And then um, 
was with the Boston Blazers for a little bit, which was a, such a fun experience, and then and then ended my career with the Georgia Swarm, which was which was another great group of guys, and was lucky enough to win an NL championship in 2017. Yeah, I did. We got to go to Prague in 2009. Um, that was an awesome experience. Great group of guys. Bill McLaughlin was on that team. He's now another member of the trilogy trilogy family. Um, so that was cool. And it's not. It's yeah, bittersweet seeing all of the uh, U.S. lacrosse backing of box now when we were like you know scrounging to pay for our own flights that that year in Prague, begging our family and friends. But um, also, I, I started the process this year, and I, I think I. You know, would have liked to think I could have made that team, but ultimately, just family responsibilities. There was, I'm just too old, man. <laughs> too much going on at home. Yeah, you get the the Velazny Cross All Stars Invitational. I think is what stuck a fork in my uh, my box career. I was I was training for that, running up hills, and finally, uh, you know, it was five a.m. hill sprint day. I looked at my wife. I was like, I you know, I can't go this weekend. I'm just I'm just not I'm just not mentally there for for the next year to to train to to be where I want to be for Team USA. And um, and that's when I called up Reggie. I was like, Reggie, I'm so sorry. And like, hope I didn't waste your time, but this is, this is just, this is it for me. So it's bittersweet. I, I, you know, I, again, physically, I feel like, could I play on that team and add a lot um, of experience? Yes. But it's definitely time for the young bucks to, uh, to get that taste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's so many events. You know, the U.S. Lacrosse is doing a great job of of the box program and having all these events throughout the year. And just like you said, the time that it was going to take to stay in the shape that I know I need to be in because I'm not very fast or strong or big, so I have to be in really great shape. I just I just didn't have that to dedicate, um, especially with a, a you know a two year old and a three month old. That's that gets tough. Yeah, I was really honored for John Arlotta to give me a chance and, and ask me to come do it. And, you know, I was like, God, it's going to be a lot flying down to Atlanta. But to stay involved in that capacity was so much fun, just knowing the game and being able to communicate and still stay in touch with the fans. And uh, Mark Zeno, who does the, the play-by-play, does such a, such a great job. He made it incredibly easy for me, just layup after layup. Uh, and 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 then the Swarm are a lot of fun to watch. The Thompson brothers are pretty good lacrosse players, and Randy Stats is, is amazing and still really close with those guys. So um, I was getting the inside scoop from the team group chat, you know, and, and uh, so I think, I, I think this year might be my final year in the group chat. I throw a gif in there every now and then, keep, keep people happy, and, but I think this might be it for me. Yeah. 
first, no one is cross-checking me while I'm doing it. <laughs> so that's helpful. Um, but no, I think the the little plays that fans probably don't understand um, the and on all the elements that go into making a play happen. Sure, when Lyle Thompson dodges down the alley, dives across and shoots and scores, is that beautiful and amazing? Yes. And could could you talk about that? Yes. But oftentimes it's an amazing seal by his teammate that opens up that lane or it's the cycling on the lefty side with Shane Jackson, you know, cutting the back door and occupying his man that opens up that space for him. And those are the kinds of things that I think, especially as a defensive player, I can, I can start to see developing early. And and that's what I think helps the fans understand that this is more than just putting the ball in the net. This is a team effort. This is a sport that is really beautiful and, and pretty amazing when it works seamlessly. Yeah, on the defensive end, um, it, it is so much more of a feel, which is crazy. Like the offense, again, there's a rhythm to it, but but you you can sense it pretty quickly based on the ball movement and some like more tangible things. Defensively, when guys are talking, communicating, and supporting each other, it's there's a flow to it, and it really is like hard to describe, and that that makes it a challenge. But I think there are elements. Um, Individually, defensively, when guys are really not sitting back on their heels but being aggressive in a contained way, um, when guys are – when they do get beat supporting each other and then getting back to their man, those are the things – you know, we run a box program, the NJ Sixers, that we try to instill in the kids, and it's it's trying to pack – whatever 12 years 10 years of knowledge into an hour and a half practice sometimes makes your brain hurt but you start to see them getting little edges in their games that's um that's exciting Cutting the middle. Cutting the middle is the hardest concept to teach kids, but it is the it is the cornerstone of offense in box. You have to cut the middle with your head up and be ready for a pass, and then you got to go find a back and open up a teammate. And it's like, I, I, I've probably said that sentence. I've been coaching box this year for the last seven weeks. I've probably said it 500 times, maybe 600 times. The kids are probably sick of me saying it, but they're starting to do it now, and that's where it's rewarding to see that. That And things open up, you know? Like, the, the other we, we scrimmaged the other week, and we had a kid cut the middle just like he was supposed to, except he wasn't looking for the ball, and he's wide open, and someone fed it to him, and it went right past him. I'm like, you did it, but now you got to do the rest. So it's been fun. Yeah, I think the, the you know, I just sat down and, and talked to Sandy Brown. He sat in the trilogy hot seat at our booth and was, was so gracious for doing that. Um, but I think the biggest thing, the physicality, it's amazing how much that translates into the day-to-day. The, the NLL has, has been established for a little bit longer, 25 years, uh, I think 26. Um, 
but so they have thing and and it's different it's in indoors it's in an arena more contained the box is a little more free-flowing and there's been ups and downs in that in that business um so but i would say this i've been like it's hard to quantify how lucky i've been in terms of the organizations i've always been involved with top-notch organizations and i think that's a stroke of luck um because each league has some disasters in it but for the most part you know i've been just so lucky to be part of these incredible organizations with great leadership with the swarm and john arlotta and the team he's put together there um with the cannons have having been the first class organization from the time i started until the time i ended uh, the LA Riptide, which was who I was drafted by, it was just such a top-notch group of guys, and so that element of things, like I've just been lucky there, and I like don't have much bad to say about about either experience because of that. Um, but the differences, I mean, like I could play five MLL games in one weekend. I can play barely one one, and on those doubleheader weekends, it was such a struggle getting back into things in game two of the NLL. The addition of the PLL in the conversation, I think, ultimately, as on the whole, is a is a great thing for lacrosse. And the challenge is for the players who have to make that decision. So I'm very glad I retired when I did from that element of things. Um, but ultimately, like I said, the fans, it's great. There's more lacrosse. There's more high-level lacrosse. Um, each league, it's good for both leagues. They are now going to have to put a better product on the field if they want to survive and if they want to win. Um, so from that side of things, I think it's so exciting. Uh, but it'll be interesting. There are definitely different models. You know, you have the individual player-focused element of the PLL, really promoting each individual player. And then you have the team base of the MLL. Some traditionalists are definitely bigger fans of the of the traditionalist model. And some younger fans might be bigger fans of the individual players. As a stay-at-home defenseman, I don't have much to offer by way of being a individual highlight reel kind of guy. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm just excited that there's so much, really, that, that the sport is being pushed forward. And so I give a lot of a credit to Paul for, you know, throwing that challenge down and making it, making everyone have to, all ships have to get all high tide rises, all ships, raises all ships, something along those lines. Um, so- there's a high tide of lacrosse right now, Ryan. funny you brought that up i got an email from delta last week two weeks ago saying that i had gotten gotten saying that i had gotten bonus miles and bonus uh qualifying dollars based on my platinum credit card and i was readmitted into the gold status club so i was very fired up about that thank you thank you so that's my latest achievement stay gold member with delta 
Um, but no, it's funny. You mentioned that. I, I say that jokingly, but I spent a lot of time in airports over the last 10, 12 years. And it's kind of weird not being in airports and you get into a rhythm and there's elements of it. I really actually like, um, you, you know, you do get some quiet alone time to whether do work or read or do some different things. Uh, but at the same time, it is a grind and it's a lot. And being away from the family is the hardest thing for me, having two small kids and my wife and, um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's the other element that, you know, if I was having to decide between ML and PLL, going to a different city every weekend, at this stage in my life at least, would be a tough challenge for me. Um, if you're young and you're looking to explore the country, man, is that a good experience and, and a great way to do it. If you're a little bit more settled, that's going to be a challenge for some of those guys. So, it, again, it, it's, it's funny. It's like both leagues and both models offer a little bit for everybody. Week, 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 eleven, twelve, and a new city. You interview some of those guys. I think you're gonna get you're gonna get some fatigue there in terms of just like where am I? Who am I? If if nothing else, they've done a phenomenal job of obviously securing some top players and building buzz. They, they Paul, I've got to give him ton of credit and the buzz that he's built around it so people are excited so now that's got to convert into you know into audience and and maintain maintain that but he's certainly got got people talking including us Sure. So Ryan Boyle and Rob Lindsay, two Princeton graduates, actually founded the company in 2009. They started it as an education company running camps. And they ran a small camp in Bayhead and then expanded it to some other camps. I joined in 2000 and full-time in 2011. So I was a third full-time employee in our Brooklyn office with Ryan and Rob. Um, and we've adapted just like the game has adapted. We started out in purely in education, so camps and clinics, then we got into the club team world and, and grew pretty big, had nine different clubs across the country, and ultimately realized that, that we are certainly stronger as an events company over the last few years. And so now we, we run uh, tournaments. We run a spring break training event out in Arizona for the boys and Nevada for the girls. We've got 30 teams coming across three weeks. Um, we run tournaments all summer. We run tournaments in the winter. In the spring, we have a box tournament. Um, and then we do have a couple of local teams, with the NJ Diesel being a, a club team based out of Essex County, New Jersey, and then the NJ Sixers. But the keys for those are we that we are there. We're there. We're involved. We're seeing the kids, seeing the families, and that's where we realize we can do it well when we're when we're there. Um, yeah, and so that's that's kind of high level what we do. And then the camps and the clinics have remained in a in a different capacity. We run these future aces, which are high level overnight camps. All these club players just play club now and we still believe so much in that overnight camp experience getting away getting to a college campus learning from all these different coaches getting your specific skills better by position and so we do that with the highest caliber middle school players in four regions we do new england we do the east at baltimore we do the south in atlanta and then we do the midwest out in ohio so that's been really fun that's those are some of my favorite camps um, and then we run a few other high-level events, our academic aces and our ice program for boys and girls. 
uh, that allow us to really work with those top-notch high school players. But again, asking about what do we care about? We want to find the right fit for players when it comes to high school. So we're not saying that every single Division One college coach is going to be at our events. We're saying we are going to help you find the best fit for you scholastically, academically, and, and then socially and lacrosse-wise. So that's, that's, our, that's our core tenet is like we want to help kids develop as lacrosse players and as people and then find the right fit for them because lacrosse – for most people, it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be a hobby. It's going to be something they build friendships from. It's going to be learning life lessons. It's not going to be a career. So use that to, to, to find a, you know, a school and a career that you, that you love. Absolutely. Yeah, Princeton, Cornell, West Point. So we've got uh, some, some good representation there. But, you know, Georgetown with Nick Morocco coming on board, Bill McGlone's Maryland grad. Um, we won't, we won't, uh, we won't hold that against him though, but no, we've got, we've got a great team. And like you said, education piece, that's first and foremost. And that's frankly what parents are want. That's what they want for their kids. And it's, it's going to really dictate a lot of those kids' lives. So our curriculum, Trilogy KYP curriculum, we, we try to utilize that in everything we do. And like it sounds, it's KYP. It's not one size fits all. KYP is know your personnel. So we need to know if you have four fat attackmen, right, you're not going to be having those guys initiate every time unless they, unless they can find a way to get to the cage. If your middies can't beat anyone one-on-one, you're probably not going to run a one-four-one with a midi up top, right? So it's all about knowing and understanding the players and the programs that we're working with and fitting the pieces around there. And then from there, it's really just teaching the fundamentals. I did a discussion on sliding, and I, you know, there's 50 questions coming out about like, what about in this situation or this situation? I'm like, maybe, maybe. It depends. It depends. The real answers are like, teach the fundamentals stick to the core principles, and then fit them into your system. And that's what we've definitely focused on. Right, and that's we, you know, we. This is an hour, an hour seminar. I feel like I could have gone on for four hours if my voice had held up. And uh, and then someone asked a question at the end about the recovery process. So you slide and recover. I'm like, well, we need to have another seminar. I need another hour to go over all the recovery options. But um, but ultimately, the it's <laughs> exactly it's 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 core principles and and dedicating those fundamentals you know taking away passing lanes playing great one-on-one defense communicating and working really hard on and off ball that's it there you go recipe for success defensively (laughs) just do those things just do more now you're doing nothing
it seems like it's been less and less, but like mesh and heads and gear. I am such an anti-gear guy. I like you give me a wooden stick with chain link mesh and I would be happy. Um, so I, I recognize there's going to be some angry, there's, there's going to be some angry people for that comment, but you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist in that sense. And like, look good, play good. No, it's like play good and then you'll feel good. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with liking gear, but to spend more time obsessing over that and and then not be good at lacrosse because you spent all your time doing that, that's where I am like, just get better at lacrosse. Why don't you just go out and throw with that beautiful stick and maybe then you'll get better. You told me I was going to have this question. I still haven't thought of a great answer for this one. What doesn't get enough attention? Why the girls' game is not more similar to the guys' game, I think. Um, it was invented less than 100, 100 years ago, maybe. There's no reason for it to be played in that, that manner with the athletes that the female, you know, the female athlete that can play hockey, like uh, they should be playing lacrosse in a similar fashion to the boys. And I think there'd be so many girls that would agree with that statement. And again, there might be some people that maybe disagree, but the precision, the speed, the accuracy, all those things of women's lacrosse is so incredible. Like why not let them play a similar or more similar style to the boys game? It's, it's unbelievable. And, and again, like I said, no disrespect. I, I think it's more of like, these women are so good. Why, why not play a version that lets them be a little bit more physical, that lets them have less whistles, have less of these like free shots on the goalie, which is just insane. They're too good. Um, so that, that element, well, in, in women's box, I think is the next frontier girls box. And we are playing, we have our NJ Sixers are in a tournament this weekend and or next weekend. And they're playing against a team 91 team of all girls. And I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. We're going to get, we're going to get, uh, that's, that's who we're playing. We're, we're scared. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we're, we're, uh, we're looking forward to that. And it's, it's really cool to see. And that's where I think there is a lot of room for growth there because it's one area where it's like girls can go out and be physical and, 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 do the same thing that the guys are doing. All right. Um, if you had $50 million, you had to spend on lacrosse somehow. I had to spend on lacrosse. <laughs> I would buy every lacrosse head and, uh, and mark them up now. Um, hmm. I think I would, I would build a massive, like my, like best ever trilogy lacrosse state-of-the-art facility with 20 lighted turf fields all that 50 million that might run out of money right there you know with with a with somewhere with dorms for kids to stay with our offices with an exercise facility with three indoor pads and then a bunch of outdoor fields that would be like and and like one to two full indoor fields so that's my like lacrosse playground i would build that where you could run 
tournaments, camps, clinics, everything you want in one place. You could host tournaments there. Also uh, do small group training or that kind of stuff. That would be my like lacrosse heaven right there. Box field, everything. Yeah, you're you, you're welcome to open an office in in there. Studio. Uh, this past week, our hot seat booth has been nonstop comedy. Um, we've been asking kids questions that range from science to math to lacrosse, and some of the answers um, have have been hilarious. Uh, has there any been really just the mitosis? People don't know about mitosis enough. The splitting of cells. Stages, yeah, yeah. See, it's a tough one. <laughs> but I think uh, <coughs> the funniest, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Watch the trilogy Instagram, and you'll see some of the highlights from our from our hot seat. There's some there's some good stuff in there. Well, I, I, you know, I was coaching our box team at a tournament, and I could have just not watched. So I watched some of the, some of the box games, but I would say the true one that I like sat down and watched was the Wings versus Buffalo Bandits. Um, I think it was maybe the season opener. It was it was a season opener. I watched that game, which was a lot of fun. Seeing my buddy Trevor Baptiste get his first game, and seeing Matt Rambo scrapping it out there, and, and Jordan Hall and Kyle Matisse guys that I played with last year. It was it was really fun and. From the outset, I was like, "Oh, this is trouble for the wings," and and then they came back and made it a great game. So, um, it was it was that was exciting to watch. The trilogy lacrosse.com and then our social media channels, pretty much at trilogy lacrosse for for all different mediums. So. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Mitch. Um, There's a couple things that came up in the interview that I want to make sure I bring up again. One of the things that always entertains me is with a lot of these players I've talked to and a lot of other stories you hear around is you think that elite players like this have a golden pathway to where they are right now. A lot of them actually had lots of little bumps in the roads. And kind of like how Mitch brought up getting cut in seventh grade and making the B team. Like he said, that was the right call for him at the time. And sometimes that's what you need in order to get the playing time. Um, Pat Spencer is another one of those players in college lacrosse right now that is always brought up as someone that was playing JV. He didn't play four years of varsity, but sometimes you need to develop and get the playing time you need and that has to be at the right level being a practice player on a higher level team maybe that's good for some people but other times other players need the actual game time and playing at a b level or a c level or um you know a jv is really what they need to become the player that they really can become I also like how Mitch didn't start playing defense until he was at Cornell. If you're a younger player or a parent or a coach of a player before college, that's something you want to be sure to emphasize. I talk to players all the time that get moved around either from midfield to defense like Mitch did or midfield to attack, attack to midfield, attack to defensive midi. It happens all the time. Coaches are going to identify what you can do and where you can best help the team, and that's really what you want to be looking for as an athlete. 
what can you do to help the team more than trying to find a spot where you fit where you think that's what you can offer and that's it you know be adaptable learn the game a lot more than just learning what the single spot is that you might play. I also remember hearing John Donowski talk in a presentation he was giving once about some emails he gets um, trying to play at Duke. A player will send an email saying they play, you know, left close defense or, you know, they're a, a crease attack or something like that where it's strictly a very position within a position type of role and those are the things coaches don't really want to see you know they they want to know that you're a player that's going to be out there and do what you need to do um, for the team now Mitch also mentioned he really was expecting to see Cornell in the final four as you know if you're listening to this now they did not make the tournament I think that they were by RPI that maybe the first team out so they were close and I can't say that I was going to argue much with Mitch until that decision came down. Um, you know, Cornell was probably not to the level that they wanted to be this year, but they were definitely pretty close and they're a dangerous team all year. So we won't give him a bad knock for that one. And then with the Cornell, we jumped into some Ithaca discussion. I'll give another shout out to the, the bed and breakfast, the Thomas Farm Inn, I think it was called. And if you are in the Finger Lakes area, you can't get much more Finger Lakes than hopping around to B&Bs while you're wandering around the Ithaca area. Ithaca, um, Watkins Glen, Penny Ann, Seneca Lake, Hugo Lake. Great area to be in the summer if you have the chance. And also, I mentioned Moosewood is my favorite food spot in Ithaca. Really, my favorite dish comes from a little tiny sushi place right around the corner from Aladdin's. And they have this thing called the Super Bowl. It's one of the best sushi dishes I've ever had in my life. So I'll give that a little shout out too. But before we wrap up, I just want to make sure you uh, have a chance to go check out TrilogyLacrosse.com. Again, like Mitch was mentioning, they do all sorts of programming, both boys lacrosse, girls lacrosse. So definitely go give them a look and make sure you're in tune to what they are up to. Other than that, I have some more great guests for you on the way. So get some more podcast episodes out here for you and get these running through the rest of the year. On that note, we will catch you next time.